Thank you, worship team. Amen. Good morning, Sunset Hills Baptist. How are you doing this morning? Is it a happy day for you? Yeah. Amen. You know, that made me think of that song, worship team, Don't Worry, Be Happy. You remember that one? Yes. And I tell you, if there's ever a cause for not worrying and to be happy, it's that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave and given us hope over death and sin. Amen. That is a cause to be happy. It's so good to have you all here this morning. If you're joining us on our live stream, we're so happy that you're tuning in. And we'd love to get to know you more. If this is your first time, if you're a guest and you just walked in these doors this morning, if you just turned this on on your phone or your tablet or whatever, we'd love to get to know you more. So please stop by our welcome desk on the way out, and one of our people there will take care of you. Or you can text hi to our church number there on the screen. Uh, we're just so happy to have you guys here this morning, the week after Easter, where we can celebrate the risen Savior. We had someone bouncing on the front here. He looked like he was having a happy, fun time, too. Let's continue to have a happy time. This planter 
is transfixed on Jesus' name. because we said yes to an invitation that you have given for many, many years and many, many generations. That God, forever we will sing your praise for endless days, God. We just thank you for that opportunity that we have. Lord, if there's one here today that has never said yes to you, to sing those praises for eternity, God, I just pray that today would be their day. Lord, you've given us a promise in your word that God, if we just confess with our mouths and believe in our heart, that God, we can accept those endless days of praise and singing and spend eternity with you. So God, I just pray that if there's one here today that has never said yes, that today would be their day. In your precious son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. As we were singing, I was watching your faces, I was listening to you sing in the worship team, and my mind just kept going over the whole idea of just how blessed we are to be able to come into the house of the Lord and worship. I, I, somehow it seems like we have taken this for granted through the years. And I hope you feel that you are blessed to be able to be here today. There are a lot of folks that I know that just aren't able to come anymore. And they would give anything to be able to just come to a f worship service again. So aren't, aren't, aren't we blessed to be here today? Amen. Yes, we are. A few weeks ago, we were keeping a couple of our grandsons. We have that pleasure uh, often because we're blessed that all of our kids live fairly close to us and the four grandsons that we have, uh, that we get called upon pretty often to 
uh, babysit. And, and for most parts, we like doing that. There are occasions when uh, we've had them for a few days uh, that we just say, no, no, thank you. It's time to take them home. And, uh, but we were in one of those situations where we were keeping our grandson, Stone and Finn, and now those two are our first two. Stone is uh, going to be six years old, and Finn is Finn. Is Finn. Uh, what shall I say about that? If you know Finn, Finn is three, but he uh, is, is uh, quite a rascal. We love him to death. Uh, but we were taking them back home, and Stone started telling us of a time when his daddy had a wreck while driving on the interstate, and this happened several years ago, and he said to uh, his grandma and me, do you know that story? He was pretty familiar with the story, an indication that his dad had told him all the details that had happened, and it's interesting enough, he knew far more details about the accident than I knew years ago when I went to see it firsthand, and Stone told me about uh, his dad uh, when he was traveling down the interstate, and interesting enough, he said, my daddy fell asleep, and when he fell asleep, he drove off the side of the road and took out one of those signs that has the double pole direction or something on it, you know, you've seen them, and took out one of the poles, and the pole went through his windshield, and then he took out one of those big aluminum light poles and um, tore the back wheel off of his truck and totaled out the truck. We never found that wheel, by the way. I'm sure it's laying in somebody's yard in Murfreesboro all these years. But he was telling us that, and, and uh, he said, D -d did you know that story? And I said, I remember that day very well. God really protected your daddy. There's no injury, so he really protected him. Stone sat there in that car seat for a little while as we continued on our trip to his house, and he finally asked this question. Well, how come God didn't protect me from burning my hand on the fire pit? It's an interesting question for a five-year-old, is it not? Why didn't God protect me from burning my hand? If he protected my dad, it seems to only be a good thing that he would have protected me from burning my hand. It's a legitimate question when you stop and think about it. And it's a question that many have asked, not just at five years old, but maybe at 35 years old or 45 years old, or any number that contains a five or a zero or any of the other numbers. I think it's a familiar question, and it's uh, very similar to the age-old question. Why do bad things happen to good people? I'm sure we've heard that question, and today's sermon is not really tackling that specific question. I am pondering going into depth, into more depth on this subject very soon, but today I am just going to skim the surface on the subject of why do bad things happen to good people. But I want to deal, rather than with that particular subject, I want to deal with uh, why we face trials. 
Very likely, you have asked a question very similar to this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, maybe even recently. You stop and think about it, there are a lot of why God type of questions that we certainly would like to have the answers to. And a lot of questions, I mean, just a few that I've come up with. Why do people get sick? Why does God allow suffering? Why didn't God answer my prayers? We try our best to understand what is going on in life, and we seek answers of why God allows things to happen. One of the most asked questions that people have said in a survey that they, if they could ask God one question, the question would be, why is there pain and suffering in the world? In today's time, you can't, you can't watch television very long and see what's going on in, the, in Ukraine and not wonder a form of question like this. Why are they suffering so much there? Why, God, do you allow an evil man, and I will call him evil, I believe he's evil to his core, Vladimir Putin, why do you allow him to wage this war against these people? Why, God, do you allow him, in my own thinking, to breathe one more breath? And I'll tell you, some of my prayers have been, Lord, take him out. Why are there so many people hurting and killing others in our city? It seems like every time I hear the news, there's a new, another shooting, another murder in Nashville around the Middle Tennessee cities. Why are people suffering from hunger? On and on we ask those questions. And I can think of many questions that you may be asking God right now because I know you personally. And I don't really want to call out some of those things that I know that you are asking that you're aware of because I know that some of those questions that you're asking God about are very painful. And I really don't want you to focus on that so much right now except to see why this happens as we get more into the sermon. I don't know about you, but it seems that I have so many friends and even family that are going through some really, really hard times right now that's causing a great deal of pain in their life. We, in our prayer time this um, Wednesdays, in the staff meetings, we discussed this this past week about how we are spending time listing the different people who have requested prayer, and maybe themselves or people within our church family that have requested prayer on behalf of someone else. And we were noting that that list of people has grown to three pages long. A lot of folks. On a very practical le level, we ask questions of God as to why, 
because it becomes, becomes very quickly very personal. In fact, let me just see a show of hands. If you have recently asked some form of the question recently of God, why God? Let me see your hands. Yeah, all over the place. Now, if you are fortunate enough that you did not raise your hand, if I were to come back and ask this question a year from now, you would probably have had to raise your hand then. I want us to deal with the why, this why question. From the most practical book in the New Testament, do you know what it is? What would be considered the most practical book in the New Testament? Now, just I, I, I'll tell you, because I don't want anybody to, to get it wrong. It's the book of James, or at least that's what I think, okay? So we're going to look at this from the book of James, and uh, but we need to look at a little background as to the author about James, and, and it helps us to get a sense about why he knows what he's talking about. You see, when, when someone really knows what they're talking about, they've experienced it, it gives much more credibility to what they may say or what they may write. And here's the book of James. It's believed to be the, the earliest of all the books written in the New Testament. And it's a letter that is written to believers who assume, it's assumed that they already know Jesus and they already know the basics of the Christian faith. And the cool thing about the book of James is really the all of the Bible is it's relevant to what we face today. People just like us, for most part, sitting in this room right now, who know the basics of the Christian faith. And James is wanting to emphasize the importance of living out truth. The same reasons that prompted James to write this are still prevalent of problems today. They're prevalent of what we question and what we seek after today. If you say you believe, then why do you believe? Are you living as if you believe? And if not, why not? Why are you not fulfilling the Christian lifestyle? This Christian way of living is, is, is not carried out just on Sunday mornings. That's not what we're supposed to do. It is a lifestyle that is relevant, that, is, uh, uh, that we purposely live all the days of the week and the nights. And so it becomes ingrained in who we are. This Christian lifestyle should be relevant no matter where we find ourselves in society. And there should never be a difference based on what culture is saying, believe our beliefs, uh, between our beliefs and our actions. In other words, what we do as believers needs to be consistent with God's Word regardless of what the culture says. And more and more the culture is in direct contradiction with what God's Word has to say, and I think I should get an amen on that. I think you're pretty weak this morning. Are you awake? 
I need to do a dance up here. I tell you, my heart would handle it, so let's make sure you're awake. Maybe we've turned the lights down too low. I don't know. Circumstances should not dictate how we live as believers. Is there an amen for that? That's a little better. You're not still there. Let me try this one. People who we are, that are who we hang out with, should not dictate how we act. Amen. Oh, you're getting better. Challenges, oh, this may be a little harder to say amen to. Challenges of life should not dictate how we act. That's a little weaker. Pressure to conform. You ready? Pressure to conform. Are you ever under any pressure to conform? If you work in a secular setting, you are, right? If you have friends that are non-believers, you are. Pressure to try to conform. If you're strong in your faith, then you are under pressure to conform. All around us, the churches are being, are, are being asked to conform to what culture says ex that's acceptable. So pressure to conform does not, should not dictate how we act. Our belief in Jesus and His calling on our lives should dictate how we act. Therefore, we should not compromise to worldly values and behavior and give ourselves instead wholly to the Lord. Now, it's important to know, and I think it's interesting to know, that this, this James who writes this book, who is talking about all these things that we've just kind of gone over and I've tried to pull you along with me, he's talking about this and he's, he, he's coming from a standpoint of, of where he was not believing to a point of belief. He, he is the half-brother to Jesus. But it's important to know that he did not become a believer in Jesus until after the resurrection. You can find that in John 7, where he specifically says in verse 5, for even his brothers didn't believe him. But after the resurrection, in 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us that Jesus was seen by more than 500 of his followers and then by James and the other apostles. At that point, he starts believing. He goes from this trying to understand all that's taking place with how to live a, a Christian lifestyle to, to becoming a leader in the early church and it said that he was the pastor, uh, the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So he, he knows what he's talking about to go from a point of unbelief, even though he knows Jesus very well, to a point of this is how you should live. So he starts out by his letter by identifying himself as 
verse 1, chapter 1 of the book of James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you get it here? He's not identifying himself as, I mean, it would be pretty awesome if he would say, you know, hey, hey guys, I'm writing to you, and as I'm writing to you, you need to understand who I am. I am the half-brother of Jesus, and that gives me credibility. I mean, there are a lot of people who, who they base their legitimacy based on who they know or their relationship with someone else. They have no idea what they're doing. Here's James who, he's not using, I mean, you would think that if you're trying to get a point across, if you're trying to say who you are, I mean, I do this all the time still. You know, somebody would say, uh, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Steve Durham. I'm pastor of Sunset Hills Baptist Church. And I said, well, where is Sunset Hills Baptist Church? And I'll start telling them where we are. We're in Nolansville, and we have a Brentwood address. Go figure that out. But, you know, it's, it's, this is, and they say, well, I've never heard of that church. And, oh, Nolansville, that's a cool place to be. And they do all this stuff. But uh, sometimes when they're trying to place it, especially if they've been around Nashville for a long time, I will say, have you ever heard of Radnor Baptist Church? And they would say, oh, yeah, I, I know about Radnor Baptist Church, and, and uh, uh, we're still Radnor Baptist Church. Legally, that's who we are. That is our name. But we're doing business as Sunset Hills. So the conversation kind of goes on into Radnor Baptist Church. Oh, yes, I used to know the pastor there. Well, that's my dad. He was, he was my dad, you know? And, and so, you know what I'm doing? I'm trying to lend credibility and legitimacy to my role as pastor of Sunset Hills Baptist Church. To that person. It would seem to me that James would do this. I'm the younger brother of Jesus. Makes sense, doesn't it? But that's not what he does. He doesn't go into some long explanation of how special he is being the younger brother of Jesus. He doesn't claim privilege over the people he's writing to with his claim of bloodline. He just identifies who he is, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He had become a servant to his brother. Now, I got three brothers. I would never have been a servant to any of my brothers. And likewise, they wouldn't become my servants, even though I may have tried from time to time. Do you get kind of what he's, picture he's drawing here? He's placing himself under the authority of his brother, but more especially under the authority of God and now his Lord Jesus. He goes from being a half-brother to now being a servant of who Jesus is, his Christ, his Lord. 
And in that, we see that he's really a, a humble sort of fellow. James claims the position, the very exact position, as other believers. He's no higher. He's no lower. No more special. No more privileged. He's basically saying, hey, guys, I'm one of you. I understand the struggles that you're going through. He's exactly where the believers are. And then he writes in verse 2, To the twelve tribes scattered among the nation, nations, greetings. Now this is a of twelve tribes. It's just another way of saying, to my fellow believers. Scattered. It's talking about the early believers who have been persecuted in Jerusalem and in Israel, and many of them, because of the persecution, left to go to other nations around the world, at least the world at that time. Their lives, these early believers, were not easy, and many had been persecuted. And James is writing to this group of primarily Jewish believers who have undergone severe hardship. Why had they done that? Because they were hated. They were despised because they were Jews. They were running from pain and persecution. Why were they being, were they being caused pain and persecution? Simply because they had become followers of Jesus. It's not an easy season of life. In fact, it's hard. It was costing them to follow Christ. So here's James. He, he doesn't beat around the bush, you know, like some of Paul's letters where he says, Hey, hi, grace and peace to you. And here are some things I want you to know. No, James, does, he doesn't do a warm-up at all. He could, he could have patted them on the back. I mean, wouldn't we expect that? Oh, man, I know you're going through difficulty. I know how hard life is for you. Hang in there. It's going very well. He could have done that, but he doesn't. Instead, he challenges them. Now, watch how he does this. Count it all, say it, you know it. Count it all, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Remember, he's writing to all these folks who've been persecuted. Many of them have had to leave their homes and their neighborhoods, their work and their communities. Many of them had been and had to forsake their family. He doesn't pat them on the back or comfort them for what they're enduring. Instead, he's telling them, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Whenever you face trials, I'm going to tell you something that you already know. God's people are not immune from hard times. Difficulties come up in everyone's life. You're probably thinking right now, well, I came to church so you tell me something that I don't know. So why are you reinforcing this today? Well, 
all of us face trials, and it's our tendency to try to avoid these trials, to make them go away, to get out from under the trial, the heat, so to speak, as quickly as we can. Our tendency is to ask or say, why is God putting me through such difficulty? Why, God, can't my life be different? Why, God, don't you sort all of this out and make it easier on me? I mean, really, have we not asked those questions from time to time of some form? Maybe you're asking a question similar to that that right now. But what if we started looking at trials differently? What if we trained our minds to think, God, what is the purpose for this trial that I find myself going through right now? What is the purpose for these difficult times? I really don't like the phrase I'm about to use. I'm going to use it anyway because people have used it on me and I didn't want to hear it is what are you trying to teach me? Because when I am being taught by God, I often don't want someone coming alongside of me and saying, what are you, what's God trying to teach you? What's trying, God trying to get happen in your life? But here's the thing. If we could start looking at these things differently and train our minds differently, maybe we would begin to see that these trials that we are facing do have a purpose. And if we can see that it does have a purpose, then maybe it'll start making a difference in our life as we face these bad times. As hard as they may be, I think it's, there are very fundamental uh, uh, statements about this whole concept this whole idea. And one of those very fundamental things for believers is this. God will never abandon you during your trial. He doesn't do it. He will never leave you. He hasn't ever in, his, in the past, and you can count on the fact that He'll never do it in the future. Difficulties, if we saw it this way, Difficulties and trials are not the defining moment of our lives, but the defining moment is how we respond. I want to say that again. Make sure you get it. Difficulties and trials don't let them be the defining moment. Let the defining moment be how you respond. Now, I believe that for most part, especially in our community, down deep, we know that God is in control. Can you say amen to that? He's in control, right? Sometimes it doesn't seem that way. And when you stop and think about all the stuff that's going on in the world, it just doesn't seem like God's in control. But He is. 
And we've heard enough stories where people have experienced huge pain, but in the end, they saw the grace working out by God to carry them through. We know those stories, that God is working on our behalf, even when it doesn't feel like it. So another fundamental belief in this is as long as we have breath, God's still writing our story. He's continually adding to the story of his believers, of his people, of us. I don't know. I guess most of us have been on long journeys with children, right? At some point in the trip, there will come a phrase that every child who has traveled in a car has used. Do you know what it is? Say it if you know. Yeah, now you're with me. It must have been a real painful moment for you. Are we there yet? When Brett was little, Andrew were little, we traveled back and forth to Georgia. Sure enough, we'd hear that question. We'd hear it over and over. Brett called. We were trying to, Lynn was working on how can we get this across as to how he understands the time. And he was familiar with the TV show Sesame Street. He asked that question, although he didn't call it Sesame Street. For some reason, he worked out to where he called it Dew Street. I don't know how he got to that. but So we got to where we would say, when he would say, are we there yet? We'd say, no, three Dew Streets. Of it. Two Dew Streets. That's how we worked out the time. I've often wondered why is it that children can't understand that when the car is still going that we're not there yet. <laughs> I mean, really. Isn't that the exit that we used to get off to go to Grandma's house? Yeah, we're just going to keep on going so you can keep asking the question, are we there yet? Just for the fun of it. The reason they ask these questions is because, really, they're too immature to understand the nature of the journey. They want to be at the destination without the travel to get there. And as adults, we can be the same way, especially when it comes to trials. We don't like what we're going through and so we ask the question, so to speak, are we there yet? Or why me? Or I want it to be over. But if we don't take the journey, we don't get the blessing of God when we get there. If we keep on wanting to stop the journey before we get to the destination... What does that do to our maturity level as believers? So they have to ask the question about, well, why does God allow trials in our lives? I mean, here's James verifying that there are going to be trials, and you should count it as joy. So why does God allow these trials to come up? Well, 
There are countless answers to that, and the Bible is chock full of explanations. I just wanted to do, give, deal with five, okay? And these are more opinion-generated than they are biblical at this point, but they follow along with Bible, all right? And the first one is, one of the reasons that God allows trials is to show us of our need for God. If we're not careful, we can begin to think that we can depend on ourselves to make it through life. We've got it all under control. We are masters of our own destiny. We can get to a place that we're handling everything by ourselves and we don't need God. Well, have a doctor tell you that you need to have your aortic valve replaced and see how that works out for you. Okay, God, he told me I need to have it replaced. I'm going to operate on myself and fix my aortic valve. No, I look to the one who knows more about how to do it than what I do. Trials takes us down several notches to make us realize our dependence on God. God may allow troubles and trials to take place in our life so that it puts us in a position where we totally depend and trust and have faith in Him. When God's all you have, you learn that God is all you need. Jesus said this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. There's a whole sermon in that. But let me move on to the second one. Spiritual progress. Some of the reasons that God allows trials in our life is so that we will have spiritual progress. God uses crises in our lives as testing times to build our faith. And when we are able to win smaller battles... That gives us confidence so that we're able to take on greater battles or a new task to see that he's been faithful in the smaller ones. He's also going to be faithful in the larger ones. So as you win smaller battles, it gives you that ability, that spiritual maturity to take on bigger ones. And sometimes trials come along to prepare us for what's coming on next. Here's the third one. Some of the reason that God allows trials in our lives is for correction. You notice I didn't give you the answer to how I answered Stone's question, why did God, why didn't he protect me when I burned my hand? Because I sat there kind of dumbfounded. How are you going to answer this? Thankfully, Lynn jumped into the conversation just the right time, and she tells Stone, sometimes God allows things to happen to teach us what's good for us. You see, his dad had told him, don't be playing around with the fire pit. It'll burn you. And what does he do? He plays around with a fire pit. And yes, it burned him. Hey, Stone, the reason you got burned is because of your own stupidity. What's the reason you've gotten burned? Often it's because of your own what? 
Yeah. Sometimes allow, God allows these things to happen to get our attention. He isn't willing that anyone should perish. Remember that scripture? So he will let us go through some fires so that there might be some areas in our life that we need to plunge out. Here's the next reason. Our testimony. There are people constantly, if you're a believer, they're looking at you. They're believers and unbelievers alike. They're looking to see how you will respond. And as often as not, they're probably looking to see if they can catch you being weak in your faith. Children of Christian parents are watching to see if you really are walking life in truth. They want to see if you're consistent, your actions are consistent with your beliefs or what you're talking. Are you walking the walk and talking the talk? Let me just go on and throw this one in there for believers. This is why our social media presence is so important. People are looking. You know, I just wonder how many times when there's an inappropriate response or there's a, a foul language or there's pictures that are not gratifying to the Lord that people see. I wonder how many times they go to that about information religious beliefs and someone has written about themselves Christian you see how we endure trials is opportunity for great testimony people can see firsthand how you respond when a crisis comes are you falling apart are you trusting God They even, in the storms of life, can see that our response should be faith and trust in God and that He's going to bring us through it. So our testimony is another opportunity for God to use trials. And finally, seeing God work in your life. If I never had a problem, I'd never know how God could solve them. I'd never know what faith looks like and how He can work through that faith. I have trials, and some of my trials are there because God is working through them, and He wants me to see it. Not to bring glory to me, but ultimately so that I will turn around and give glory to God. God, thank you that you worked this out. Why did I ever doubt? Because you worked it out, you're preparing me for what's next. 
Because I can look back and I see your power in my life. If you've been in a place where you've seen God work in your life, it's a sweet place to be. Amen? It is absolutely a sweet place. It's very humbling, humbling. Remember how you say it, it is what it is. When you see God work in your life, you see what He's doing outside of what you're capable of doing, and yet for your benefit and because of His grace toward you and favor towards you, He's working in spite often of you or me. That is a sweet place to be. That is exactly why James could say, count it joy. Seems kind of weird, doesn't it? He would say that. Count it what? Joy. If you're getting tested, if you're going through trials, count it joy. The phrase count it is this idea of consider it, weigh it up. It's really an awesome kind of phrase that literally gets us to start searching, pressing in our mind. Another version says, consider. Count it. Take the time to consider what is going on and how God wants to use it, and that creates joy. Steve, you don't know the trials I'm going through. I'm not feeling too joyous about it right now. Steve, man, life's been tough. Yeah, I get it. I understand that. Here's James saying, in the midst of all of that, have joy. He's not saying happiness. Joy is so different from happiness. Happiness is far away from what joy is. Joy is something that is much deeper. It is much better. There's something more beyond happiness when we're able to find joy. There's a great website that if you've got questions about things, about God, you can type your question in, and they've usually got a really good, solid answer. It's called simplygotquestions.org. So if you're ever wanting to know something about Christianity or things, just go gotquestions.org, and it gives this definition of joy, and I like it. Joy is the natural reaction to the work of God, whether promised or fulfilled. You see, then, what that really says is joy is not self-manufactured. It's not something I can go hang out at Starbucks for a while and, excuse me, would you give me an order of joy? Let me order a cup of joy. I think you get a cup of joe, whatever that is. But you can't get a cup of joy at Starbucks. 
sit there until it's closing time say excuse me sir it's time for you to leave well I'm not leaving until I get my cup of joy where does joy come from comes from God it's supernatural it's from outside of us and only God can give you joy let me expand the expand the expand the definition a bit joy is a natural reaction that we may obtain as we experience as we trust as we live in the person of God and what God's doing in and through us even when I don't understand it even when I can't explain it it's joy in the person of God in the purposes of God in and through my life and the more I experience God and lean on him the more I can trust him in both good and bad times I'm just going to say this I'm pretty sure that you cannot attain true joy unless you have Jesus in your life Why, God? Why, God? Would you pray with me, please? Where are you at this morning when it comes to these why questions? Are you in the midst of some of those? Is there some hardship, some difficulty in life that truly is causing a great deal of pain and suffering? Again, I don't want to speculate what that may be. But as you focus on one or more hardships, I ask you now that you just bring it before God. Maybe you say, I'm ready for this to be over, but I'm waiting on you. I will wait patiently as you carry me through this. I don't know what the end result is going to be, but I will wait patiently because somehow you're going to be glorified in this. I don't need have to understand why I'm trusting. Just spend some time in prayer with God. What are you trying to teach me, God? What are you preparing me for? What if there's someone out there that's watching me to see what kind of testimony I'm going to have? Just as I may have questions of why to you, God, those why questions may exist so that someone else may see what true faith is true hope is 
what true trust is. And in that, God, I pray I will be faithful. Maybe you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus. And you're trying your best to manufacture joy, the closest that you really ever come to that, true joy, is this thing called happiness, and happiness is fleeting. Happiness is depending on all of those other things that joy doesn't depend on. And it's time that you start that relationship with Christ. If you don't know how to do that, then I'd be more than happy to take some time with you. Just tell me, Steve, and we'll set up a time. Maybe as we will open this altar for, uh, as an invitation for you to just come and you say, I just need to spend some time here in prayer to say, I need you, God. I encourage you right now, as Kelly's going to sing, that as we stand, that you will move and just, Lord, I'm, I'm coming to pray. I'm asking you to help me as we stand and as we sing. Once I was free in sin's dark valley. It will lead. 
done father all that was done father so we could have this relationship with you sacrifice that Jesus made to show us your love for us and to experience your love to know that we don't have to go through this world confused and broken slaves to the why questions so that we can trust and know that you're not going to leave us and you're going to walk with us whatever hardship we go through thank you for the joy that that brings all these things we ask in Jesus name amen may be seated please Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve, worship team. That great story that Pastor Kelly just uh, preached about is our mission. Last week, we had an opportunity to have 100 kids and 50 families come out for our uh, egg hunt. Thank you to everyone who uh, came out that day to help with that. If, if, if you are here today and you helped out with that event last week, would you please stand and just be recognized for a moment? Please stand up. We had a great team last week. It was a fun time. We're going to watch a quick video on it. You saw a video there of them throwing eggs at a target, and uh, we did that. Uh, John Bagwell and Carol were heading that up as a way to show kids that we all missed the mark. Uh, it was a great, great event uh, that uh, we had a lot of the opportunity for a lot of kids to come and hear the gospel, which was awesome. Uh, for all of you guys who want to jump in, uh, reaching our community and families and kids in the area, we have VBS coming up in July. 
and we have our volunteer uh, tacos and training coming up next month. So if you are part of our team and you want to uh, come on out for that, it's going to be at 5 o'clock here. One more thing we want to let you guys know about this morning is that Friday Friends um, will be meeting this Friday uh, at 11 a.m. here at the building. That, uh, I think that picture of me was just as I turned loose of an egg. That's the only time I've ever thrown an egg that I didn't get in trouble for. <laughs> I could tell you a story about that one day. Okay. Uh, have you got anything? No. You're good? You're good? All right, I want to close out just a little, something a little special, all right? Um, that song that Kelly does, Oh, What a Savior, is probably one of his better songs. And he's been singing that song for a long time. Well, I want you to take a look. You can sit and listen if you want to, or you can leave, but go way back to Radnor Baptist Church days. Have we got sound? Have we got sound with it? See, they couldn't clap. They couldn't oh, here clap we go. to the beat back then either. <laughs> we have to have sound with it. Here we go. Can you believe that's the same guy? Oh, here it is. A beautiful day God has given. That's my dad doing this right here. I don't we have. Do we have it? Is it on there? Keep going. Sorry, I I sprung this surprise on them. There we go. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll cue it up one day. That was a remix. I was doing a remix that Sunday. I didn't mean you to send him the whole service, Bobby. We'll cue it up, and he'll be singing it up here live, and we'll have him on screen singing it when he was... 14 years old, yeah. Babyface Kelly. Would you please stand, please? We are grateful, Father, for your love and your blessings, and <coughs> pray that the, as we go out this week and we face trials, no doubt will come up. Let us have the right attitude of depending and trusting you. Thank you for our church family. Father, I thank you for the history of this church. For people that truly love each other and have for a number of years who've been concerned about making sure that communities know the love of Jesus Christ. So as we go out this week, help us show that love to others. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what, we would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 
1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.